What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for wrapping up your week and quite possibly your year with us. This is your Friday edition of Fantasy MLB Today and our last episode of 2022. This is a Sports Ethos presentation, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. That is where all of our new content comes out on the baseball side, fantasy and otherwise. I'm currently working on my ranks. They are going to be coming out little by little starting in the new year. I think we're going to start with catcher, and then we'll work our way through the infield and the outfield. And then we'll leave pitchers for last, because pitching is probably the most complicated position to rank in baseball. going to take a little bit longer with that, but that stuff will be on the website starting next week. And like I mentioned, this is our last episode of the 2022 calendar year. We've already started our 2023 baseball prep quite a while ago, but now the calendar is actually going to flip. It'll just make it that much more exciting to see the year actually 2023. We will have baseball uh, in, you know, I'm going to butcher the phrasing, but starting, you know, tomorrow or whenever you guys are listening to this, we will have baseball this year. So very exciting. Obviously, if you're listening before the new year, that's not true. Uh, But we have Major League Baseball coming up. I think catchers and pitchers report in 40-some-odd days, about 40 days. So we are getting very close now. We are on our last position in terms of our review shows. We are on relievers right now. And if you guys listened to the show yesterday, you know that we were already doing that. Greg Jewett was kind enough to join me for about an hour yesterday, 45 minutes an hour, to talk about some of the recent signings that have taken place with relievers, a couple of unsigned guys as well. Uh, We talked about some of the elite names from 2022 about whether or not we would be in on them again uh, for this coming season and Greg also gave us a couple of late round targets for saves like pick 200 and beyond so great episode yesterday you guys should go and check that one out if you haven't already if you are subscribed to the pod which I highly recommend then it's already in your feed there but today we are going to continue with the relief pitchers we're not going to touch on anybody that we really mentioned yesterday except for one name briefly this name we're going to start off with here I think Greg did mention him just briefly yesterday, but we're going to do a little bit of a deeper dive today. Of course, you guys know how we've been doing this. We're going through the Yahoo player rankings, not necessarily by, you know, starting with Hayter and starting with Diaz. And, you know, it, it is working out generally like that. But the name we're going to start off with today is not somebody, you know, more casual fan of baseball would not really expect you to be talking about this guy in such a high regard the way we are about to in a second uh, because of his track record. But we're, of course, talking about Daniel Bard. Daniel Bard was one of the most valuable players in fantasy baseball this season, especially because he didn't really cost you that much. He ended up finishing as close to a top 50 player, which was really out of the blue for him. And it, it was it was a miracle season, to be honest with you, for Daniel Bard. He gave you six wins. He gave you 34 saves, a 179 ERA, which is incredible, and a sub one whip just below one at .99. His pitching indicators were also pretty damn good. 249 XERA, 286 FIP, 330 XFIP. This is pitching for the Colorado Rockies. This is Daniel Bard pitching for the Colorado Rockies. He pitched to a 197 ERA at home. A little bit better on the road at 159, but just incredible to have anybody in Colorado give you those kind of numbers. Specifically a guy with a, you know, an okay track record. You know, he was out of the out of Major League Baseball. I forget if he went and played in Japan or or what he was doing in those years. I'm actually going to look it up real quick because I I can't remember what he was doing for those couple of years he was away. Uh, But he's been been all right in his career. He's never been somebody that you really wanted to depend on for fantasy. He's had times where he's given you some saves here and there. It was 20 of them he gave you last year, but it also came with a, a 521 ERA. Now, where was Daniel Bard playing? I honestly can't remember now what he was doing in those in-between years, or if he just wasn't playing baseball at all. Uh, He was in the minor leagues. 
I think it was just working his way through the minor leagues through multiple injuries. I think that's that's what it came down to. For some reason, I thought that he went and played overseas, but no, he was just working his way through the minor leagues for seven seasons. He pitched in 2013 for the Red Sox, granted only one inning in 2013. Uh, he was with them from t- 2009 to 2012. And then seven years out of the major leagues, he came back really in 2020 there for 24 innings as the closer. 2021, like we said, he gave you 20 saves, but it came at the expense of your ratios, a 521 ERA, and his whip was, and you know what, Uh, it was 160. I saw Matt Williams, who was on the show a couple weeks ago, tweeting today about how fan graphs have been a little bit glitchy recently, and I've noticed that as well. I thought it was my computer or my internet connection or the fact that I have a million tabs open, Uh, but it's apparently just something that is going on with fan graphs. So if I ever pause or it looks like I'm just, you know, building myself in an extra minute or two to talk, it's probably because fan graphs have been a little bit glitchy recently. So that is, that is that. But in terms of what Bard gave you this year, he struck out 28% of batters. He walked 10% of batters, which is still a little bit high, but the opposing average is 161. Like we talked about a sub one whip, a sub two ERA. He was fantastic. Now, the question becomes, can he do this again next season? And I wouldn't be banking on it, specifically because we're talking about Coors Field. And we know the effect that Coors Field has. We saw it in 2021. He was he was really rough. And I'm just going to pull up his splits from 2021 here. Um, let's see the home and away. He was actually a lot worse away in 2021 for whatever reason. God, in 2021, his away ERA was 814 at home it was 348 actually not that bad it's kind of crazy you know Coors has that effect on pretty much every single pitcher and it didn't seem to have affected him that much but at the same time uh, you're not really going to be taking Daniel Bard as like your first closer and feeling much confidence like if he's your second or third closer for me preferably third really uh, that's where I'd be more comfortable with you know Colorado's not going to win that many games I think they're probably going to be a little bit better maybe but are they even going to be better they're, they're it's hard to say what they're going to do exactly but this past season they won 68 games and he saved exactly half of them and I think that's what Greg did mention yesterday 34 saves in 68 games it's very lucky we're not going to see that kind of thing happen I mean we saw you know Ryan Presley these last couple of years I think he I missed some time this year but he had 30 saves and the team had 100 wins like usually that's more of the ratio you're going to see for a everyday closer that they're going to get maybe a third of, you know, they're going to save a third of their team's wins roughly, maybe even a little bit less, but half for a bad team like Colorado. I think it was a very lucky season for Daniel Bard and his price is a little bit expensive as of right now. So I'm just looking at December draft champions. There have been eight of them so far and he's going to pick 129 minimum of 110 maximum of 163. Look, I know the scarcity of closers and saves and how hard it is to, I mean, we're talking draft champions here, so there's no waiver wire, but how hard it is in general to come across saves. You see a guy who had 34 of them last year. You're going to be more than, more than willing to take a chance on, on drafting him early up. Most people are, but for me, I'm going to be looking at some other guys who we'll talk about some today. We'll talk about some over the next little while. I'm just not really that interested in him there, even though, I know that there's not that many closers that you're going to really want to rely on going later than him. You got Paul Sewell, you know, you got Gregory Soto. We got a couple of guys we talked about yesterday, you know, Sir Anthony Dominguez and Jose Leclerc. There's a couple of guys who, who could be good options. I mean, Bard is the last one going there for about 50 picks. So he is the way that people are viewing it. I guess the, the last okay option there, 
But I, I don't really see him as being a sure thing at all. If he gave you a four plus ERA next season with fifty and twenty saves, it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me. He's not somebody that I'm going to be drafting. I don't think in any case. Uh, he's not like I am that against him. It probably sounds like I am a little bit, but I just don't find that that price is very attractive for me in the first ten rounds, or even if you're talking like a twelve teamer and you're talking, you know, ten or so rounds. Like it's just not really going to be that interesting for me. Um, you know, even maybe a little bit higher up, he will go by the time we get the draft season. Like 129 right now. Um, let me just take a look at the filters here and see where he's going. Like if I just if I look at all drafts that have taken place and see if that makes any difference. Let's see if he's moved around a little bit. 126, so he's actually you know about the exact same place. Maybe he does stay about that range. Uh, but for me personally, I'm going to be taking one of the closers I feel a little bit better about. Kenley Jansen, is, you have to pay like a round or two earlier, but much more comfortable with him. David Bednar, I'd feel just as comfortable with, probably even maybe a little bit more. Uh, it's not great in this range. I think, like we were talking about yesterday, uh, a little bit. I mean, there are there are late round options that you can go after. You mentioned Pete Fairbanks, Jorge Lopez, and you know you guys go back listen to the episode and he'll, he'll hear the discussion with Greg. But I think, you know, outside of getting lucky with a couple of late round guys, you need to secure your closers relatively early. Not to say you need to have Diaz and Classe in the second round, but I think it makes sense to go for a Hayter or a Hendricks or a Romano, somebody in those middle rounds there, a Ryan Presley, even Devin Williams, even though we talked about his prices a little bit high. You feel more certainty around him, personally, I would, than I would taking Daniel Bard, who came off of an incredible season, but it's something that we've never seen him do before, really. You want to talk about 2010 with the Red Sox? He had a 193 ERA. He wasn't the closer. You weren't looking at such high leverage situations. I, I wouldn't expect, and I'm, again, that was like 13 years ago. I, I think with Daniel Bard, you have to be pretty skeptical that he can maintain this kind of value for another season. I think it's a lot more likely we'd see a four plus ERA. You know, he's probably going to give you five wins or so, five, six wins and then maybe 20, 20-ish saves. He's projected here on roster resource for 29 saves. I, I don't think we're going to see that many out of him. Maybe we do, but I think with the Rockies, you're going to see a similar win total in the 70s area. He'll probably save a third of their games <clears throat> in the 20s. Low 20s is what I would be expecting. 29 feels a little bit lofty. They are projecting a 420 ERA, which does feel generally correct, uh, but that save total, I think, is probably a little bit inflated in terms of what we can actually expect. But let's move on. Let's talk about Scott Barlow. He is the next name we are going to talk about. Another guy who had incredible value this season. He was a top 70 player, according to the way that Yahoo does their, does their rankings. He gave you, and it's hard to believe, really, but he's given you two really excellent seasons, one after the other. Specifically this year, he gave you 24 saves. He appeared 69 times, a 2.18 ERA. Now, the strikeouts were a little bit down this year from what they were last year, but he also got the walk rate down a little bit, and his whip was down uh, from 1.2 down to 1 exactly. So he did give you a fantastic value in terms of, I don't even remember where he was going in drafts this coming season, but I don't think he was terribly high up, considering that we didn't have a big sample size to go off of really 16 saves. He had a good year in 21, uh, but I can't remember the price now. I'll have to take a look. Um, this past season, the pitching indicators were a little bit higher than what that ERA was giving you. 296 XERA, 362 FIP, 342 XFIP, and his Sierra was 310, which is pretty damn good. But the FIP is what I like to look at mostly. I look at all of them together, uh, but I like the way the fielding independent pitching is calculated, and it was like a run and a half higher than his ERA. Now, again, look at everything. Look at all of them, XERA, FIP, XFIP, Sierra, 
Pip is the one that I tend to pay the most attention to, and that is the one that was looking the roughest for him. Uh, you're paying, you're playing for Kansas City, and you know I've talked about how I think they're going to be a pretty good team this coming season. But at the same time, we're talking about a team that was worse than the Tigers last year. They're not going to be a great team. They're probably going to be in the 70, 75 win range, roughly. And I don't know if we're going to see Barlow give you that. I mean, first of all, the ratios are not going to happen to this extent again, I don't think. 218 ERA and a one whip, that's you know that's likely to go up. He's projected for a 373 ERA from Steamer, which feels a little high. I think you're probably more likely to see it somewhere, I don't know. A little bit lower, anyway. I, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out what, what I'm expecting, but a little bit lower than that. Uh, I'd expect that he probably gives you like a 3-5, 3-4 ERA, uh, you know, 20-ish saves, which is still going to be valuable, but I don't know if it's going to be as valuable as we're maybe hoping for. He's going to pick 114. It does feel like we are paying for last year's stats with, with Bard and with Barlow. You know, I would much rather speculate on somebody like the couple of guys we were talking about with Greg yesterday. Go back and listen if you haven't. Carlos Estevez, you know, he's someone we mentioned. Speculate on him. You're going to get him a lot cheaper, and there's a decent chance that he ends up with as many or more saves to go along with better overall uh, counting statistics. Obviously, Carlos Estevez is, is pretty much free, and I know we, we don't like to use that term, but going close to pick 600 in most drafts, he is going to be relatively free, and I wouldn't be surprised at all, just based on my conversation with Greg on and off air, if he does outperform both of these guys we're talking about. So I, I'm not going to be fading them all the time, but I think at this current price, uh, it really depends on your build, but I'm not really that interested. You know, a top 120 pick for both of these guys, I think that they are good pitchers. I think Barlow is better for sure, but I don't think we can really expect the same levels that we've seen these last couple of years. I, I think he's very good, but I just don't like the price. And, you know, like I said a million times already, go back listen to yesterday because Greg was throwing some late-round flyers there who have a good chance of getting you some saves this season, and he is one of the best in the business. So I would be more interested in taking one or two studs at the beginning of the draft. You know, hey, get for a, go for a hater and go for a Presley, and then you don't have to worry about it, or go for one of those guys and then speculate on a few of those names later on down the board. That would be what I would recommend. I wouldn't really be interested in the Bednar, the Barlow, and the Daniel Bard range so much. But let's move on. Let's talk about the next name here. Kenley Jansen, he is in Boston, and I think it's very good. First of all, um, with Kenley Jansen, we weren't really sure what his role was going to be. I mean, we were f- pretty sure he was going to be the closer still, but you know, they also have Rizel Iglesias. There was going to be possibly some muddying of the waters there. Uh, Kenley Jansen is coming off of a very good season with Atlanta. He gave you 41 saves. He gave you a 3.38 ERA. Uh, his expected numbers were at or below the ERA, which is always very nice to see. And he's still striking out 32% of batters, despite being, I think he's 35 years old. Yeah, he is 35 years old now. <clears throat> you would expect him to lose some of that heat over the years. And I don't think his, let me check out the fastball velocities. It's, it's pretty much the same. Like, as a rookie, he was averaging 93.9 with his fastball. This year, 93.7. It's fluctuated a little bit. And the pitch mix has changed a little bit for him. Uh, but for the most part, he's keeping that velocity at the same level. And I should say the pitch mix has changed uh, he's using a cutter more than he is using a fastball, but the velocity is pretty much still there. He has a full-time role as a closer, and I think he is somebody, he is going a little bit above where these other names were going, uh, 89, and that's actually looking at all drafts. Let me just go to December drafts. He is going at pick 84. I think that that makes a lot of sense for him. You get him a little bit cheaper than some of those elite names, and you still get similar production. I think that's in this zone, he is one of the only closers, probably the only closer that I'd really be interested in. 
once you get past him, then you know you're talking about the guys that I just mentioned that I'm not that interested in. You got your Bednars, and you got your Barlows, and you got your Daniel Bards, who are probably fine. They're going to end up on rosters. People are going to draft them. But I don't think I'm as comfortable with them as I am with Kenley Jansen. A lot more of a track record with Jansen. He is the oldest. Actually, no, Bard is a little bit older than Jansen. But I think in terms of the age, uh, everything, team context, the player, Kenley Jansen is the guy I'd be going for, even if you have to reach maybe a round higher than you would like. All the indicators are good. The strikeout numbers are still good. Walk rate is actually you know pretty good, still 8.5%, down from what it was the year before at 129 Still a little higher than his career average because he had some years there where he's sub-5 for multiple seasons. He was sub-5 walk rate, but still you'll take what he's given you, the strikeouts, the walks. Now the question here, I guess, comes to the Red Sox and how many games they're going to win because they are going to be the worst team in the American League East, I think. Maybe the Orioles don't progress the way we expected. Maybe they're the worst team. Maybe the Rays just finally, you know, their methods will catch up to them and they'll be bad. But I don't think the Red Sox are going to be very good, which will limit overall the save opportunities. We talked about with Bard how it doesn't always work like that. 34 saves out of 68 team wins. But it does still come into play when you're talking about a team that is likely to be in the cellar of their division. Probably... Probably below 500, honestly. I wouldn't expect the Red Sox to do much beyond be a, maybe a 500 team at best. So uh, I think that you're probably still going to be in for 30 saves with Kenley Jansen, and they're projecting him for, what are they projecting, 26. I think that 25 to 30 is still very fair to expect. He'll give you good ratios. He'll give you good strikeouts. Overall, I'd be very happy to take him where he's going, especially because there's a little bit of a dead zone before and after him. The first closer going right before him is Camilo Doval, I guess. But I, I don't think we're going to be as interested in him. His price is going to come down a little bit since Taylor Rogers signed in subsequent drafts. Really, Ryan Helsley is the guy going above him there in terms of ADP because I'm expecting Doval to be about pick 100 by the time it's all said and done. Jansen at 84 and then those other guys. There's a little bit of a dead zone where you you know someone's going to want to take Jansen there, and I think you would be smart to do it regardless of your build. I think even if you take you know you take an elite closer early on, still go for a Jansen. You can go for Jansen as your S, or as your CP one, as your relief pitcher one, whatever you want to call it. I'd be fine with that too. I still have a lot of faith in him uh, going forward, at least for this coming season. No reason to think that there is a cliff coming anyway. Let's talk about another pitcher here, Alexis Diaz, who is the brother of Edwin, and he was doing his best Edwin impression throughout the season because he was giving you fantastic numbers with great strikeouts. Not the same level as his brother, but pretty damn good regardless. Give you a 184 ERA over 63 innings. Won seven games, saved 10 for you, and his whip was .96. He was fantastic. Walk rate, a little on the higher side, more than a little bit. 13% walk rate is on the higher side. But... He did a very good job pitching. I'm just going to pull up the splits here and make sure I'm not talking out of my ass. Yeah, at home, at Great American Ballpark, in 34 innings, he gave you a 183 ERA, only allowed 12 hits and three home runs in his time at Great American. And we know Great American Small Park gives up a lot of home runs. It's going to give you probably a, a fairly sizable disadvantage on the mound, especially as a closer, especially as anybody really. But I think as a closer coming in for one inning there, uh, you can really risk getting your stats blown up by giving up a home run or two. He was able to avoid that. Now, the expected numbers are quite a bit higher than what he actually gave you. 276 XERA, 332 FIP, 397 XFIP, and his Sierra was 329. All quite a bit higher. All still within a pretty reasonable range, though. My worry with him is is the great American ballpark factor. I mean, obviously pitching for Cincinnati, not a great team, probably not going to be that many saves to be had. You know, probably the same as we've talked about with these other guys in the 20 to 25 range. He's not somebody that I'd project for 30. Uh, he's currently projected for 20 on Steamer. 
I think that feels about right. They think he's going to have a 4-1-6 ERA. I think that that's a little bit high, but you know, I think there is definitely some regression incoming when you look at the fact that there was a 178 BABIP he allowed. He stranded more than 80% of base runners. There is probably some regression coming. Honestly, at his price, I don't think it's I think it's probably as much as I don't want to do this, he's likely going to be grouped in with the other guys that we just talked about. Like you're getting him a little bit cheaper than Bard and Barlow. Like I'm pretty close to Bard in all honesty. I'd feel a little bit more confident because you get more strikeouts, you get a younger arm. But I think he's another fade for me here. Uh, at this price, I, I think my strategy really is going to be go for those early studs with closers because the board's going to thin out. You know, you speculate on a couple of late arms. But I think you are going to be wise to secure at least one stud closer early, whatever format you're playing in, and then maybe speculate on a couple of these guys. Because there will be teams that get stuck taking a Diaz or a Barlow or a Bard as their, as their first closer off the board. You know, you might get caught up. And I did this in Arizona. You get caught up, especially in a 15-teamer. Players fly off the board. You don't even realize it. I was at the back end of that draft, too. I was picking 13th. So you're having like 25 picks, 26 picks go between your spot. There are going to be a lot of players that do end up getting taken, and you don't even realize it. You might get to round seven and be like, I have no closers. They're all gone. I need to take one of these guys. That is definitely something that can happen. It happened to me with catcher and a little bit with the outfield uh, in that draft that I did. Kind of scrambling because you don't really know who to take. Everybody else has been taken. And closers, once they go, people start tend to start to take them consistently. You know, you'll see a bunch go within a round or two. You might get stuck with one of these guys. I wouldn't want to be going into the season planning on having, you know, a Bard, Barlow, Diaz, uh, closer combination. I think there's a lot of volatility there. There's volatility even with the best of relievers. We saw it with Josh Hader last season. I want to put myself in a position where I'm not depending on uh, a big breakout because, I mean, Diaz kind of broke out, but we're talking 63 innings. He'd never pitched even in AAA before. And his minor league numbers were, were okay. They're pretty good, but they weren't great. They didn't blow you away, certainly with the strikeouts uh, at times he did. But the ERAs throughout his minor league tenure, not the greatest. So there is probably not a cliff coming, but there's definitely some regression coming for Alexis Diaz. And I don't think I'm going to be that interested in him unless he falls maybe – you get to pick 150, 160, you push him down a couple more rounds, I'd be a little more confident. But when you factor in the team, the ballpark, and his own you know, outlook, considering what he did, the BABIP is really the one that concerns me, 178. That's going to regress closer to 300 and then might be looking at a bit of a rough, bit of a rough ride for him. So I, I like the pitcher. I think he's very good, but I wouldn't invest a lot of draft capital in really anybody we've talked about today. Kenley Jansen would be the exception where I'd be fine with it, uh, but – I'm not really going to be big on any of the other names we've talked about. Now, we're going to talk about one more name here before I let you guys go. And he is somebody that I'm actually going to be fairly interested in because he does fall more into that elite realm of closers. We're talking Ryan Presley. Now, Ryan Presley's draft price currently in the month of December is 53. He is going as the highest pitcher off the board in Houston. Now, if I expand that out to look at all drafts that have taken all draft champions, uh, 56. So he hasn't moved around really very much at all. I think this range makes a lot of sense for him considering what he is capable of doing. So in this year that just happened, he threw 48 innings. He had 33 saves. You don't usually see that kind of number. You know, Barlow, 60 innings, 30, or not Barlow, Bard had 60 innings and 34 saves. Uh, Barlow, 74 innings, 24 saves. Jansen, 64 and 41 uh, Diaz 63 and 10. Although Cincinnati's a shit show with their with their rotation or with their closing rotation, I guess you could say. 
Uh, you don't usually see somebody within 15, you know, innings, runs, whatever you want, not runs, but, you know, 15 more innings than saves is kind of a crazy number uh, for Ryan Presley to hit. The thing is, he should have been hitting this number for several years now. I mean, okay, 2020, whatever, 12 saves in 23 games, that's that's fine. Last season was the one that was a real head-scratcher, 26 saves in 64 games. Even this year, it's because he missed time. There is a potential for Ryan Presley to be a 40-save guy in this league. No question about it. Healthy on Houston, that team is going to be elite again next season. No question they're going to win 100 games again in that division. And if he's healthy, he should be, you know, he has the potential to be the overall number one closer. Considering the strikeouts, considering the fact that he'll win some games in Houston as well, good ratios. There is number one overall relief pitcher upside with with Ryan Presley. And a lot of people are probably going to disagree. They say, no, it's going to be Diaz, it's going to be Hayter, or maybe it's going to be Klasse or Hendricks, maybe even Romano. But I think with Ryan Presley, there is that upside considering the team. You know, the team has a lot of impact on closers, even though, you know, you'll see weird stuff like Daniel Bard saving half of the team's games and, you know, only having 68 wins. You see weird kind of things like that happen. But for the most part, you're talking about an elite reliever on an elite team. He's going to get you a lot of saves, assuming he's healthy. So I have no problem whatsoever taking Ryan Presley here at pick 56. I think in the fourth round, that makes a lot of sense. And we're going to start gearing our content more towards 12-teamers because that's what I think a lot of people play. And most people don't play 15-team draft champions and draft 750 players. That's more for the diehards of the fantasy community. Pick 56 here, you're talking a 12-teamer. You're getting him in round five. Absolutely no problem at all taking Ryan Presley there. Ten-teamers, I know a lot of people play ten-teamers, including myself. You get him in round five, round six, maybe even a little bit later on that format. I really am into Ryan Presley this year. And I know that there is you know, always some worry because Houston has a couple other options if he does get injured or whatever. You got Montero. You said Brian Abreu give you a great season. Hector Norris can give you some saves here and there. Uh, even Ryan Stanek had a save this past season. But I think as long as he's healthy... There's no risk of Ryan Presley losing this job or anything like that. It's just a matter of if he's going to go out there and pitch as much as we are hoping for. And I think that, you know, it's baked into the price a little bit. Uh, You're looking at the best team in baseball and their best reliever. He should probably be going even a little bit higher than this. Uh, I think, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if by the time we actually get to main event season and when people are really, really drafting, if he is going closer to the Liam Hendricks, Jordan Romano number, which is about 10 picks, 15 picks earlier. Wouldn't surprise me at all. I think that he is going to be in a similar range to those guys this coming season. And my rankings will reflect that. I should mention once again before I let you guys go today, rankings will be up on the site next week. I'm going to say that to you guys because I need to fully motivate myself to finish them uh, because I've started a few different positions put out a deadline for myself, which I'm, I'm a writer by trade. I'm a journalism student still. You guys probably know that if you listen to the pod. Uh, I need deadlines. If I don't have deadlines, I can't work. And I know a lot of writers work that same way. If there's open-ended, finish it whenever you want. You know, there's no deadline. Just whenever, whenever it gets finished, then it won't get finished. I need to put a deadline on my own self. So first week of January, there will be an article on the website at sportsethos.com. With my catcher rankings. There we go. I've said it. I've put the pressure on myself. We are going to do it. At least one article. And I'm going to try and do, I think, one a week before the season starts. And I'll update them as well. I'm still figuring out how I want to do it because I want to have it so that you guys can see them as I update them. 
that might end up being more of a Discord thing the more I think about it. But I'm going to have rankings up next week. That is the main point here. Uh, there will be catcher rankings on the sportsethos.com website. And, and I might as well give you guys like a little sneak peek here. In terms of my catcher rankings, nothing too crazy. I have Real Muto first, Dalton Varsho second, Will Smith third, Adley Rutschman four, Salvador Perez five, Alejandro Kirk six, Wilson Contreras seven, MJ Melendez eight, Tyler Stevenson at nine, and Sean Murphy at ten. Not too much deviation from ADP, maybe a little bit. I don't even, I didn't really look at ADP when I was doing it. Um, Real Muto, Varsho, Smith all goes according to ADP, and then I have Rutschman ahead of Perez, or Perez is actually ahead of Rutschman in ADP, but it's only a couple of spots. Uh, Wilson Contreras and Alejandro Kirk, I have them flip-flopped, but also within a couple spots at ADP. Uh, Melendez at eight, Stevenson at nine, that's the way it's going, and then I have Sean Murphy one spot ahead of William Contreras there in my rankings, 10 and 11, they also switch. So no crazy changes there in terms of the way I'm ranking catchers, and I might as well give you a couple more. William, William Contreras, Danny Jansen, Yasmany Grandal at 13, and Cal Raleigh at 14. I'll leave it there. We'll have the we'll have it out on the website next week, and I think we're going to probably do... I don't. I want to do 50 of each position, realistically, but 50 catchers, we're talking at the end of it, like I'm not even going to know what to write about certain players here. You know, There's not going to be too much to get into. So I think probably we're going to do a top 25 or 30 for catchers for this coming season. I think that makes the most sense. And like I said, uh, on the website next week, you guys can get those. If you're just someone who likes to peruse Twitter, instead of going through different websites or links, whatever like that, uh, just go follow Ethos Fantasy BB. That's where all of our new content gets posted out from. You guys have heard me say it repeatedly over the last few months, and you have followed. I really appreciate that. I also really appreciate all the new reviews I've seen on Spotify specifically. We got like 10 or 11 of them in the last week. That is fantastic. Even a couple more over on the Apple Music side. Whatever it is that you guys listen to and review on, that is very much appreciated. Now, this is our last show of the year. I'm, I'm blown away, honestly, by the support that I've had this past year. It was last January. When I came aboard Sports Ethos, originally as a basketball writer, uh, that's what I was hired to do. For those of you who are into NBA fantasy basketball, I was hired. Uh, I got hired based on the fact that I wrote an article, closer to an essay, really, about why Rashawn Holmes should be traded from the Sacramento Kings. That got me in the door here, and then after you know doing the onboarding for basketball, started doing, uh, started talking about baseball because they did had no baseball content. Uh, Dan Bespris and myself created this podcast um dan's idea i the way i've talked about it before is that dan's like the biological father of this podcast who walked out and i was the stepfather who came in and took over not that he walked out he's still here obviously but dan was the original creator i guess and i'm the one who actually who actually raises the kid and takes care of the day-to-day stuff uh, in terms of the baseball stuff but guys uh just a thank you my long-winded way of saying thank you for the follows on twitter for the clicks on the articles for the kind words that you guys have left on Twitter and in comment sections, uh, I really appreciate all of the support. I couldn't have done it without you guys, truly. Don't mean to get too too mushy-gushy here. Uh, but if you know, if I was seeing the show get five or ten downloads every day and no one was really listening, then it wouldn't really matter at that point. You know, no one's listening. It would have been it would be very hard anyway. It would be very hard to post a show and have nobody listening. But we actually yesterday hit twenty-five thousand downloads for the podcast. It was a great way to end the year. Uh, you guys really came in droves and supported us. So, again, thank you. Thank you. A million thank yous for all the support. Uh, you guys can continue to support over on Twitter, at JoeOrico99. Hit the follow button there. Never miss any of our content and Ethos Fantasy BB as well. Now, I try and reshare everything on my own account, 
because I have more followers than the Ethos Fantasy BB account. I want to push you guys over to following over there as well. And you guys might remember if you've been listening for a while, I used to post every show on my own account, switch that over to the Ethos Fantasy BB account so that we have more people going to, to that page and seeing the other work that our writers have there as well. We've hired some writers. They're going to be producing content. It's going to start in the new year. I got to get everybody assembled and we're going to put together a plan here in terms of our, I don't know, there's not going to be like a, a draft guide per se, but essentially there will be up on the website throughout different pieces and articles. It won't be all together. It won't be paywalled at all. It's all going to be free. Uh, but we're essentially, we're essentially putting together the baseball side of the company right now as well. And uh, you guys can support us. Like I said, go check out the website. Go check out Ethos Fantasy BB. Uh, rate and review the pod. Do all that great stuff. And we will see you again next year. It'll be 2023 next time we do one of these pods. We'll continue with relief pitchers, and we'll do that for probably the entirety of next week, assuming there's no other changes or you know major trades or anything like that. Signings are pretty much done. But yeah, I will see you guys next year. I hope everybody is happy. hope everybody's safe. hope everybody has a few drinks on New Year's Eve to ring in the new year. But guys, that'll do it for me. Take care and be well. Cheers. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.